this month we are in a series and the series is called Change. All right, last month we talked about questions and we wrapped up that uh, series and we talked about faith and placing our faith in God. And whenever we place our faith in God, he always changes us. And that's, that's why we went with change for this month. Uh, a lot of us don't like change, okay? Uh, really what it is, we don't like the transition we do like change. All of us, we change our hairstyles. We change our clothes. All right, we do, we do change. But most of the time, it's the transition that we don't like. But we do like what the end result is. Um, but you know that change is difficult, right? It is. It, it really is. Some of us love it. We embrace the whole process. Others, most, don't. But when it comes to putting our faith in God, uh, there's a few things that take place. And that's really what we're going to talk about is what is happening in this journey of change, this process of change. And the scripture that we're using this month is 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. It says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed, talking about salvation, meeting Jesus, understanding who God is, uh, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so we broke down that scripture a couple of weeks ago and talked about what that looks like. Uh, this past week, we talked about how whenever we meet Jesus, he changes our desires. All right, uh, there's just things that used, we used to operate a certain way. We meet Jesus and all of a sudden, we just see the world differently. Right, and as we, as we are changed more and more into his glorious image, our values, like everything about us, just continue to shift. And that journey is called sanctification. You see, whenever we meet Jesus, there's this moment of justification where we, we place our hope in him, we, put, we surrender our hearts to him, and we believe in him, we confess over with our mouth, believe in our hearts, and, uh, and, and we're justified before God because of Jesus. And then we enter into this process called sanctification, and that's where we live. That's where we try. That's where we, you know what I'm saying? That's where, that's where the sweat is at, okay? That's where the, that's where the effort is at, where we are uh, being changed. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's difficult, but really the end result that we all desire, it's called glorification. It's called heaven. It's called where we're gonna be fully transformed into something that I can't even explain right now. Why? Because I haven't seen it yet, haven't been there. Give me answers, give me answers. We don't have all the answers, all right? But, but there's this thing called glorification. And, and you know what? In this life, we, we live with broken bodies. We live in a broken world and a broken society. And so we, we see these issues. And really what we want is we want heaven on earth right now. We want what God promises in glorification right here in the process of sanctification. And sometimes that doesn't line up and, and we have questions and, and it's a struggle. And I think that's why sanctification is such a, a difficult process because whenever we hit trials, whenever we, we run into situations that we don't have the answer for, uh, it creates tension. But we're being cleaned, right? We're being cleansed. We're being sanctified into the glorious image of God. And so that's kind of the basis of everything that we're talking about this month. So last week we talked about our desires being changed and this week it's a really fun subject. All right, all of you are gonna enjoy this one. All right, we're talking about relationships and how when we meet Jesus, our relationships change. Um, now there's one thing about relationships, all of us, all of us have relationships, okay? Man, you're stealing my thunder. That's, that's like not the point. That's it. I'm out. We all have relationships. 
Actually, our lives are made of relationships. Think about it right now. Just go ahead and think about it. Your life is made up of the relationships that you have, your family, your friends, your coworkers. If it wasn't for all of those people, you'd have no problems, right? <laughs> if you really, really think about it, you know? <laughs> I mean, if anybody ever says that things are stress, stressful, what they really mean is the relationships that they're in are stressful. It's usually what it is. I mean, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's it, but usually it's, it's relationships. It is, it's true. Jim Ron said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So if you spend your time with a lot of chaotic, stressful people, <laughs> then that's what your life is more than likely filled with. But also, did you know that those people are shaping you? They really are. Like, some people think that they can hang around anybody and not be changed to kind of reflect those people. That's not true. You can't help but hang, actually, there's, some, there's like some scientific uh, 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 you know, information or whatever that supports that. Uh, our brain waves, like who we are in reality, starts lining up with those around us. You ought to do some research on that. It's really incredible. I don't have time to go into it today. But literally, who you are around, you imbibe their thinking. You imbibe their humor. You imbibe, you imbibe it all, and, and, and it becomes part of who you are and then all this, have you ever done that? You, you say something and you're like, man, that sounds like, that sounds like my buddy. I never said that before. What is happening? You're becoming more and more like those people. And that's not always a bad thing. All right, it's, it, it could be fine, but, but sometimes it is, all right? Because we're a sum of the people that we hang out with. But the thought is this, is that, you know, when we meet Jesus, obviously he changes everything about us. He changes the way that we think, the way that we act. But when it comes to relationships, when we meet Jesus, he changes the way that we relate to people, right? That's actually what changes. When you meet Jesus, the people around you don't change, okay? I think some people, they come to church, they raise their hand or they, they say a prayer and then they expect to go back into the same environment and it's just all of those people, all of a sudden, they're just not annoying anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Like, all of a sudden, your spouse is everything that you want them to be. No, it's actually not that at all. It's, it's when Jesus changes you, he changes the way that you relate to those people. He changes the way that you think about those situations. It's not that those situations change. It's that you are changing. And once you realize that this lens begins to change, you see, all of us are looking at life through a certain lens, all of us. And if we, we could talk about all the different lenses, but if we're talking about relationships, we're seeing people through a certain lens. And for most, I mean, most of the time, it's going to be the lens of our own experiences, the, long, the, 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 the lenses of our own uh, hurts, right? If you've been hurt a lot, whenever you engage with somebody, you're in defense mode automatically. You can't help it. Why? You got hurt before. So now your lens is, there's a scratch on it. And so you see everybody through that scratch and everybody just, they look a little bit distorted. Why? Because you're actually, you're in a place where maybe you need to be changed and not, not them. But we don't like that. I'm going to move on to something else because we don't want to talk about us being the problem. <laughs> right? They're the problem. The Bible begins to kind of focus in on us though. And the more that you read the Bible, by the way, the more that your lens, like you get the microfiber cloth out and you start, you start cleaning, cleaning the lens and a lot of times you realize it was, it was your heart the whole time. And, and look what the Bible does. 
begins to mess with us. Mark 12, 30 through 31. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And all of us are like, amen. Amen. You're right. Love the Lord. But then 31, the second is equally important. That is a huge word. Equally. It's the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So today I want to go ahead and, and all of you and speak to all of you who, who feel like you're very, very deep. All right, like you're, you're a really, really deep person. And whenever you read the word of God, like you see behind what the words are saying, right? <laughs> like I know Hebrew, studied it for years been studying the end times. I know when Jesus is returning, right? Like all of you, it's super deep, super deep, 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 really deep. So deep that it makes my ears pop when I get around you. Um, <laughs> that was good. That was a good one. Justin got it real nice. I mean, his, that was a good one. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Some people think that they're very deep, but whenever you say a scripture like this and it talks about loving people and loving God, which sounds so simple, Jesus actually says, this is the main thing. Like, this is actually the most important thing. Your lens starts getting focused in a different direction. And sometimes that lens where you've been focusing on something really, really far away, all of a sudden you realize, I need to focus in on right what's in front of me. And it might be my neighbor. But it goes on, John 13, 35 says, your love for one another, come on believers, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now we're talking about the fact that how we interact with each other proves or disproves the fact that we are a disciple at all. Another big statement, huge. How we interact with one another proves something to those. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, and the way that you live your life when you're around people causes them to say, and I'm not talking about from the religious standpoint, I'm talking about from a pure standpoint, from a person that doesn't know God. And they say, you're a Christian? <laughs> and you rip people more than I do, right? Like, you're a Christian? Dude, your anger is out of control. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is like, people are going to recognize something different about you by the way that you interact with one another. Love for each other is one of the things that separates Christianity from other religions. God's love for us and the fact that he loves us unconditionally, we love people unconditionally. That rhythm right there is something that a lot of religions don't have. But we're supposed to have that operating in our life. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, talking about the lens being changed, by the way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I'm good with looking at people as equals, but not so much as better than I am. Come on, Jesus and, and the word of God always raises the standard for us all. Come on. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Side note, people skills. If you want people to like you, every time you talk to them, don't just fill the conversation with everything about yourself. Ask them questions about their existence. 
They might want to actually talk to you more. It's amazing. Just, just try it next time. Whenever you realize that all I've been talking about is myself for the last 10 minutes. Hey, what's your name, right? <laughs> like, start with that. It's a good way to get it going, you know? We got to start small. It's baby steps, all right? <laughs> Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for other interests. Really what these scriptures show me is there's two motives in our relationships and the way that we relate with people. And one is we're either going to be selfish-minded or service-minded. Like, it, we're going to lean one way or the other, guys. We're either going to look at our friends and our family and the people that we surround ourselves with in a way that says, what are they doing for me? What can I get out of this relationship that I have with them? What, what does it do for me? Versus what can I invest in them? What, what, can I, what can I give to them? How can I serve them? This is one of the essence, like the, 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 the core ingredients of God's heart for us and Jesus' heart with humanity as he went around the earth. It was, he was moved by compassion and love and this mindset that I am investing I'm giving my love, my life for these people. It's how we relate with people. Come on. So either we have one or, or two of these motives. We either going to be selfish or service minded. Now this is going to set us up for the rest of the message right here, because all of us, through our experience and through our life, we have our own standard for how we think that we should interact with people, how we should operate. But this is the big idea: is that Jesus set the standard for our relationships. He set what a pure motive looks like. He set the, the standard for how we should interact with people. And we're going to pick the top three things that Jesus told us to do and also showed us how to do to challenge us today. Y'all ready? Nope. No, not ready. You're not ready. This is going to hit home. This is going to hit home for all of us. The first thing, one of the hard pills to swallow that Jesus handed us is this. <laughs> I had a picture in my mind when I said it too. Hard pills to swallow. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 44 says this. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, by the way, there is not a law in the Bible that says that. People were misconstruing things and turning things. And, you know, it wasn't, it is written it's written, the, the law, no, it was, you guys been hearing that the law says something about, you know, hate your enemies? Well, I want to correct that. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. All right, y'all, y'all ready to get deep? You ready? Love those people that you can't stand. Come on. Because whenever we say enemy, we think of like North Korea. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's be honest. Like we go to the extreme and we're like, if they're shooting missiles at me, man, they're my enemy, you know, and like, I'll pray for them, but I'll pray for them with a missile. You know what I'm saying? Like, Welcome to America. Like, that's, what's, that's how it's going to happen. Right? But he says, love your enemies. Can I just bring it home? Bring it, bring it on down to where we're at every day. Pray for those and treat those that you disagree with on social media with love. No. No. Right? Let me tell you something. Social media is, uh, is one of the coolest things, but it's one of the most horrendous things that's ever happened to humanity. It's horrible. 
Because people can say things to one another and not actually have to look them in the eye. There's no conversation going on. It's just straight up. It's straight up. Actually, it's very revealing for what's inside of people. Friends, family, rip each other in half. For what? Social media, politics, man. Let me tell you what politics is in regards to the government on the stand. There's a, there's a problem, and this problem is sitting right, right here. This is the problem. And politics, basically, our conversations is two groups of people looking at that problem from different angles and coming up with different solutions to solve it, and everybody arguing about how to solve these issues. It's what it is. But then all of a sudden, we look past the issue, and then we look at each other. And then we start, we start arguing with each other whenever the problem is the problem, right? We start, we start making people our enemies whenever they're really not our enemies. Your family, some of you, there's walls built up in your family. And I understand how difficult it is. Things just begin to happen. It's taken 10, 15, 20 years to get where it's at. And guess what? Now it's just one side versus the other. Your enemies, your enemies. You can't get in the same room with each other without feeling animosity. And at some point, it becoming this blow up of an argument, right? Your enemies. In the Bible, Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. Well, let's replace love with some other words. Let's define what love is. Because I want to be honest with you guys. I hear love all the time, and I don't even know what it means anymore. Love those around you. I'm like... So what does that actually mean? Does it mean agree with everything that they do? Or does it, does it mean? Well, the Bible says love is patient. It says love is kind. It says that love is not envious. And here's one of, the, here's one of the, the biggest ones right here. Hopes for the best. Love hopes for the best. Do you hope for the best for those people that you disagree with? Do you hope for the best for those who just, their life just doesn't line up with yours? Do you hope for the best? One of the greatest tests of love. Let me tell you something. If we can't do that with one another who are on the same page, we'll never get to where we can love enemies. Just see how deep this actually goes? End times. <laughs> Mysterious things. We start talking about loving our enemies, being patient with them, not reacting right off the bat. All of a sudden, it gets very, very quiet. It's conviction. Come on. Love, here's the point. Sometimes we label people our enemies, but here's the deal. People are our enemies because of the enemy. People aren't our enemies because they're our enemies. They're our enemies ultimately because of the enemy. How I just talked about the, the problem with politics and, and us starting to, the enemy, the problem is sin. The problem is Satan. Not the people. Come on. And once, you, once, you, once that lens changes and you see that, all of a sudden you're filled with compassion. You're filled with patience because you realize this isn't about me and you. This is about this thing right here. Right? And once, once you can unite together and label that as the enemy, all of a sudden we're linking arm in arm and fighting against this together. Right? It changes your whole perspective. It's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to do. People aren't our enemies. The enemy is our enemy. And the next thing that Jesus said is be a witness. 
Be a witness. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. All of it leads up to praising our heavenly father. The point of all this is God's glory, right? See that? The point of being the salt of the earth and light of the earth is not so people look at us and they're like, wow, they're awesome people. No, it's that we point them to Jesus. But he says, if you're not being a light, if you're not being salt where you go and changing the environment that you enter yourself into, you're worthless as a believer. You're, you're not doing the work of the ministry. You're not doing what God has placed you in that family or that work environment or that school to do, which is let your light so shine, let your works, your deeds shine before men so that God will get the glory for it. See, when I read a scripture like this, there's a term that comes to my mind and it's missional living. Missional living, meaning every day that you get up, you're on mission, every day. Whether you know it or not, you're on mission. As believers, you cannot live your life properly without living a missional lifestyle. It's not being salt or not being light. Whenever you live a missional lifestyle, you realize that everywhere you go, you're shining light. You're, you're flavoring the, the earth, you're flavoring your family. That's what God has called us to do. And so it's a missional mindset where your life is being spent to help people know God. That's it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our life is supposed to be spent helping people know God. And that's a broad statement, helping people know God, because it's a broad topic. For some people, it's meeting Jesus for the first time. For other people, it's encouraging in their faith. For other people, it's, it's just praying for them, helping people know God. See, Jesus went town to town, and he continued to move. He went town to town. We might not go town to town, but let me tell you something that you are doing every day. You're going person to person, person to person. You're on mission. You're supposed to be a witness. And it's okay to have a motive in your relationships. I talked about selfish or, or service motivation a while ago, but, but let me tell you what your motive is in your relationships, all right? All of us, our motive is his mission. That's your motive. Every person that you come in contact with, it doesn't mean that you lead with this question, do you know Jesus? No, but internally, guess what you're doing? You're praying. God, is this gonna be an opportunity for me to share Jesus with somebody? Man, is this going to be one of those friendships that in six months, you know, they're in church standing next to me worshiping God? Is this going to be one of those friendships where, like, you know, they're on the edge of divorce and then through Jesus and through me working with them and God, you know, doing things inside my heart to help them that, man, their marriage is salvaged and their kids are raised up in church where the other road was destruction. I mean, that type of mindset, that's your mission. It's your motive. That's why there's purpose in, in missional living. That's why there's purpose, not just the job, although there is purpose in that, not just the family, although there is purpose in that, but it's also in every interaction you have. We have a motive. The motive in my family 
is to raise my kids to where they know who Jesus is and they make a choice to follow him. That's my motive. Every time, that I, every time that I discipline Ariana, it's my motive is that she would know grace. She would know love and forgiveness, but she would know that there's a price to pay for doing wrong. Not to lord it over her, but to encourage her, say, man, Jesus, right? She's too young right now. It's a little bit hard to have that conversation, but guess what I'm doing? It's a pattern. There's a motive and it's his mission. The last thing that Jesus said, that we're going to talk about today because he said a lot of other things. It's probably the hardest one. Jesus said to forgive others. To forgive, to forgive others. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, if you forgive those who sin against you, not against God, straight up against you, it could be intentional, straight up against you. If you forgive them, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. One of the heaviest verses that I personally ever read, forgiving. We are commanded to forgive. It's not an option. Just like loving one another isn't an option, forgiving one another and forgiving unbelievers, forgiving those who have hurt you intentionally or unintentionally, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. And it's not even from the standpoint that says, you gotta forgive, it's actually, please forgive. Because sometimes whenever we don't forgive people, we feel like we have leverage. When somebody does something against us, we feel like if we don't, if, if we don't forgive them that somehow, some way, we have this leverage on them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're having to attain our level of forgiveness. And then if they, if they do all these things and they do it for a long time, <laughs> right? Consistently, I gotta know that you're really sorry. <laughs> then I'll forgive you. So we hold back this forgiveness and we think that we're in control whenever it's the complete opposite. The longer that you hold on to bitterness, the longer that you hold on to unforgiveness, to that thing, you're actually bound to it. You're in bondage to it. You're not using it as, as leverage. The enemy is using it as leverage on you. That's why God is saying, you gotta forgive. You, you gotta let it go. Why? Because forgiveness is in the nature of God. It's who he is. Let me tell you something. One of the most Christ-like things you can do is forgive. It's one of the most Christ-like things you could do is let it go. Now, I wanna, I wanna bring some clarity to you today because some of you, as I'm saying this, this goes really, really, really deep. Some of you, it goes back to childhood whenever your mom or your dad or your uncle or somebody did something to you that you didn't deserve, that you didn't ask for, and you've grown up with this, this tension, with this area of your life that's always been dark, that's always been heavy, and you've never been able to release it. And for some of you, it's because you're waiting for this feeling to come that you can release it. You're like, one day, one day, I just gotta give time. Like one day, I'm gonna be able to let it go. And so you're waiting for this feeling to come 
to then sort of be a catalyst for the choice to forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. Have you ever went to pray for somebody and you were so angry about the situation that you, you couldn't pray? Like literally you went to say their name and say, God, I pray for them and I pray that you would bless them. And right, like, and it's, it just, it stops right here. Like you can't get it out because why? Because you haven't released them because you haven't forgiven them. I have trouble praying for someone I have not forgiven. And for some of you, you cannot pray. You can't pray with freedom because you're holding on to something that's the complete opposite of freedom. It's bondage. And today, I believe some of you, you need to forgive. And just to raise the standard higher, Jesus says, if you don't forgive people, I can't forgive you. Because this is something that we forget at times, y'all. We forget this. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We didn't deserve forgiveness. God could have withheld forgiveness from us, righteousness from us, and been totally justified in it. Totally justified. Sure, we would label him as a dictator, a horrible God. We would label him with all of these things. But at the end of the day, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we do is we're forgiven by God, but then sometimes as believers, we withhold forgiveness to people. And at that point, we have broken the chain. Remember earlier I talked about loving. God loves us, so we love others. Love is, a, is an easy word to use. How about forgiveness? God forgives us, so guess what we do? We forgive others. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Do you always feel good releasing it? Not at first. You feel like you're losing your leverage. You feel like you're losing. But God knows best. Y'all believe that? God knows best. And if you've ever really forgiven somebody that you had a grudge against or there was, like I'm talking, they sinned against you and you've released them, then you know what's on the other side of that forgiveness. It might take a few days. It might take a few weeks to heal. It might take a few, it might take a few years. But as you continue to pray over them and you continue to say, God, I choose forgiveness because you forgave me, freedom begins to happen. Breakthrough begins to happen. Why? Because it's the way that God designed it. So when you forgive, you choose to align with his design, not your own. You choose to say, Jesus, you know what's best. And today, some of you, you need to be forgiven and you need to forgive. Be forgiven and you need to forgive. And the first thing I want to talk about is being forgiven. I want to pray with some of you today who say, I've been far from God. I haven't had a, a real relationship with him. I know it. And today, man, through the worship, through the things that we've talked about, through the, through the scripture, I realize that I am, I am separated from God. This is what Romans 10, 9 says. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not that complicated. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the message of the cross is that God created a pathway back to him where sin destroyed it through Jesus and now he offers it to us. He's like, I want to forgive you. 
I've made the way. I've cleared the path. But you need to believe in your heart and you need to confess with your mouth. And I'll be right there, right there with you. Can, can, can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? You're in this moment, you know that this whole service has led up to this moment for you. And it's time to choose Jesus. It's time to choose to follow Jesus. You've been trying it on your own, your own effort. You've been building your life upon your experience, your thinking, and it's just not quite working out. Today's the day for a change. Today's the day to ask God to forgive you of your sin and repent, which just means turn from that unrighteous, that, that wrong way of living. So I'm gonna ask you in a second to raise your hand and I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you up to the front of the room, but there's something powerful about just saying, Jesus, that's me. Today, I choose to follow you. If you're in this place and you're far from God, but today you wanna choose to be forgiven and allow God into your life, I wanna pray with you. Come on, all over this room, if that's you, would you go ahead and lift your hand? Just right now, I wanna pray with you. I see you right here, yep. Bunch of you here on the right, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, yes. Come on, on the left, 10, 11, 12, 13, come on. Yes, all over the room. Anybody else, I just wanna pray with you. Thank you for raising your hand. God's grace is sufficient to cover every sin, to cover all shame, all mistakes, all the areas of your life, all the hidden sin, the thing that nobody knows about. God knows about that. He knows about that, but you know what? He still loves you. He's still patient with you. He's still kind to you because he loves you. He, his will is that nobody perishes, nobody dies, nobody goes to hell. His will is that all choose life. Anybody else in this place today, you say, I need Jesus. I see you right here, yep. Right here in the middle, yep. Amen, come on. This is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna say a prayer in a moment. We're gonna all say this prayer together. And what's gonna happen is as you pray this prayer, you're confessing with your mouth, you're believing in your heart, and God's gonna change you. He's gonna renovate you. We're gonna do something a little bit different today. We're all gonna look up. Come on, all of you, lift your heads. Would you go ahead and put that prayer on the screen? We're all gonna read this prayer together because that's, I think there's something powerful about, about reading and declaring truth. Are y'all ready? Every single person in this place, whether it's your first time saying the prayer or it's your hundredth time saying the prayer, God knows your heart. He sees you and knows you and he hears you. Let's read this together. God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Help me to start doing things your way. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I commit to live my life for you. I repent of my sins right now. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, amen. Yes.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.